This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome. This is Garden of Sound, brought to you with thanks to Mint Finance, business loans made easy. Today on the show, Jared Rennell, frontman for heavy, screamy, yelly pop foursome Dead Favours. But there's a heap more to the band and the man. From almost a decade behind the drums of internationally acclaimed band Stereogram, to owning a business, having kids, and recently releasing Dead Favours' debut album, Misbehaviour. But will Jared be able to reach the heady heights of a Stereogram days with his bandmates Will, Kyle and Charlie, or is there another incarnation of Jabo the public is yet to see? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jared Rennell on 96.9 Plains FM. Jared, I want you to tell me um, about the first time music entered your consciousness first time as a, as a young person you heard it or realised, oh, what's this? Probably my earliest memories, uh, I grew up in a Christian family, so we were at church every Sunday. My dad plays guitar, my mum plays piano, so from very young age we would go to church on Sundays and they were playing every week, so you get there early and they have a practice before the service and all that stuff. So, Are there any hymns that particularly sort of stand out for you? From years oh, ago. You know what, I've got to be honest, and this is pretty cliche, but How Great Thou Art, I mean, that is one of the greatest songs ever written. It's an amazing tune. And Sir Howard Morrison did yes, yeah, pretty well yeah, off it as yeah, well. Yeah. So what about sort of formal musical tuition? Uh, where did that kick yes, off? Yeah, uh, when I was about five, I started piano lessons, and I did piano till I was probably 14. So I did all the theory and all the grades and all that stuff, and... Um, I was into it when I was little and then probably when I got to nine or ten or something I really wanted to play drums and my uh, mum said to me look if you get to a certain level uh, in your piano if you pass that then we will buy you some drums and so when I was about 13 or 14 or something I finally got to that point and uh, so they bought me some drums and I just shelved piano after that. Do you remember what kind of kit it was? Or yeah, the brand? yeah, absolutely. It was a, a Tama Star Classic or Rock Classic or something. Uh, Tama isn't a cheap brand, is it? So, I mean, no. we're investing for the future. Is that sort of your parents' ethos? Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was $800, which wow. probably 25 years ago was significant. Um, and we got it from... Um, uh, what was that magazine? Was it Trade and Exchange? You remember that little paper that used to come out? Um, and yeah, it was a it was a pretty good kit for a thirteen year old. And um, I had it till I was about sixteen, and then I went out and spent about four grand on on my own kit once I started working. You talk about coming from a, a Christian household, and, and some folks might think fairly sort of uh, stern or disciplinarian. Mm. Um, but what sort of music? was playing around the home when you were growing up? You know, this is an interesting thing, and I've said this to my parents several times. Both my parents are really musical, and we hardly ever had music playing. Just We just hardly ever had anything playing in the house. It was really weird. I, I've always thought about that. Because with I've got two little kids, and I, I, we're always playing music, and always, and they love listening to music. And we never had a lot of music playing when we were growing up. Um, but... 
my dad was really into the shadows um, and there was like a little bit of Beatles kind of kicking around, but that was really about it. Where did the guitar come from? Uh, so my dad is a guitarist and he's um, always had guitars around at home. So um, when I started learning piano, um, he would have his guitar out every now and then. So when he put it down, I'd pick it up and um, probably when I was, you know, maybe eight or something, he started teaching me some chords and it kind of just went from there, really. I, I enjoyed playing it as much as I enjoyed playing piano. So um, it was just a natural kind of thing to pick it up when I would sit down at the piano and play something and then I get bored of that. Then I pick up the guitar and, you know, it kind of... So while there's not a lot of recorded music being played around the house, there is a lot of music yeah, yeah, full yeah. stop. Yeah. Okay, so you're a teenager and, you know, you, you've had enough of the piano and, mm-hmm. you know, you're starting to, to, to bash away on the tama. What kind of music were you listening to at that age? I was into, I was probably going through my Metallica, uh, Tool, um, even Corn. Uh, Remember Channel Z, the radio station? I used to work for Channel Z in Christchurch. Well, all that kind of stuff, you know, that um, late 90s. Bit of Papa Roach. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Any desire to to emulate Danny Carey? Uh, I tried. I tried, but uh, when I was young, I tried, because when you're young, you don't understand the concept of taste while you're playing, you know. It's just as much as you can put out there. Exactly. And that was Danny Carey to me was like, just play everything all the time as fast as you can and make it sound cool, you know. So Now you talk about Foo Fighters mm-hmm. um, and we see your, um, I guess, progression at least from uh, Stereogram through to, to Dead Favours and there's a lot of other stuff sort of in, in the mix there. But um, taking that um, Nirvana drummer to Foo Fighters frontman guitarist uh, kind of thing, that's mm. it's kind of it. I mean, is that... Was that a choice? Why did you want to get out in front of the um, uh, Dave Favors? It wasn't like I tried to emulate what Dave Grohl did or anything. It was just, it was really natural. I, we were 12 years into Stereogram, you know, by the time that we sort of started wrapping that thing up. So I had played drums professionally for about eight years. So I had done it and I really enjoy it and I love playing drums, but I was just, I could play guitar. So I was kind of just ready for something different. Um, and when Stereogram sort of finished up, um, I had just recently bought a guitar um, over in the States and I bought it back and I was playing and I was like, I like playing guitar. So I started a covers band just so I could play because I wasn't doing anything else. Um, and in the covers band, I wanted to play guitar because I just enjoyed that rather than playing drums because I'd done that for 10 years. So that's kind of how that progression happened. And that taught me to sing and taught me to play and kind of the what it is to be a guitarist on stage. And so then when Dead Favors sort of started happening, it was just, it was, it was natural. I was kind of doing it already. The big thing that's jumped out at me from that is when you say it's taught me to sing. Now, I've sung for many years and I've heard many singers around the traps. You have a, a tremendous range. You are you. Uh, you are a tenor, I would pretty much say. But surely through the church and through your formative mm. years, that's you know singing at least has been a big mm. part of your life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I did um, all throughout Stereogram. I sung. I did all the BVs and stuff. I was kind of the main guy to do all the harmonies and things. So I, I kind of got 
you know, schooled in doing singing live, but it, it's a whole different thing when you're the kind of main vocalist and you're starting to having to carry it. And um, when I did the covers thing, it taught me about control and microphone technique and all that kind of thing. And you know? pacing yourself. And pacing yourself, exactly. Which is a big one. Yeah. You do have a very, uh, I want to say, uh, percussive or explosive style. It is mm-hmm. exceptionally... Uh, control. Do you think that comes from stereogram being behind the drums, mm. really having to get it out? Yeah, I think because um, in stereogram, Brad was was the uh, vocalist, and he has a much lower voice than I do. So he would sing the low parts, and I always just went to the high parts because that it suited my voice, and I could do it. And he kind of did the low stuff. So I think I naturally started to go for those high yelly things, and um, so. Yeah, when it came to Dead Favours, it was kind of like I I was already in that kind of mind frame, I guess. We sort of travelled a long way from uh, Tool, even Corn, um, from uh, the let's, Beatles. Let's not or, mention Corn again. <laughs> the Beatles and even uh, the Shadows going going way back. Is yes. there a particular artist who may have sort of influenced your style or even your songwriting style? Maybe a bit of music we could hear from them. Uh, there is <clears throat> um, absolutely um, Tom Petty. I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. I just think he's he has this ability to make something simple and poppy really cool and interesting, you know. And I don't think it's even like intentional. It's just his style, his kind of the way he delivers is amazing. Um, so yes, Tom Petty. I'm a huge Tom Petty guy. Um, American Girl which is the first song off their first album, like 76 or something. And Why that track? Oh, it's just so cool. It reminds me of The Strokes. If you listen to that track, it's, it's like, it's just so ahead of its time. And even when you listen to it now, 40 years on, it could be released today and people would go, oh, who's this new band? You know, if you didn't know it was Tom Petty, it's just got this like timeless thing about it. And like I was saying before, I feel like it was just so effortless with him. It was the fact that he was so cool. It just, you hear it on the album. It's, it's amazing. So, yeah, huge.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jared Rennell on 96.9 Plains FM. Hey, my sisters and brothers, it's Brad from the Butlers and the Singleton Mingle. If you're looking for a top-notch screen printer for your next big shindig, then go down to see James at Against the Grain Screen Printing. He's been printing out t-shirts and merch for the Mingle for many, many moons. He's an absolute ledge, and he's one of the few qualified textile lords in the city. So get down and see him. You're guaranteed a great price and a mean result. Check him out on the World Wide Web, atgscreen.co.nz. That's atgscreen.co.nz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jared Rennell on Plains FM 96.9. Jared, I want to talk about gigs you've been to mm-hmm. in your life. Um, what was the first big gig that maybe you or somebody showed some money out for? She Heard. Where yes. was that? Uh, so this was She Heard. It would have been probably 99, and it was in Auckland at the Town Hall. It was Fur Patrol, Weta, and She Heard on the General Electric Tour. Highlight of the gig? That gig blew my mind i was probably 15 and um 14 or 15 and it was the first big rock gig that i'd ever been to and i just i didn't know that existed i didn't know the sound and the the feeling and the atmosphere and everything i just had never experienced it before and um i loved that general electric album was a huge influence on me and i loved it and so uh, i had just started in one of my first bands just a little garage band and we went i went with our singer and i remember just sitting there when uh Weta came on and i was like whoa these guys are cool and then she had came on and it just it just blew my mind so it was ever since then that i just i was like man i want to make noise i want to make lots of noise talking about making noise uh tom larkin on mm-hmm. drums mm-hmm. you've just started playing drums very sort of formative experience mm-hmm cut to the late 2010s and obviously Tom is heavily involved in what Dead Favours is doing. How did that relationship uh, come about? Um, So Charlie, Dead Favours drummer, had um, reached out to Tom years ago about um, working with his previous band and it never came together and then Dead Favours happened, we got some funding and so he reached out to Tom again. We sent Tom some demos and he was like, yep, this is cool, Let's, let's do something together. And there was that little thing inside of me, that little 15-year-old that was like, holy shit, <laughs> like, this is real. So then we flew over to Melbourne and, you know, get into his studio and he's setting up the drums and, I, you know, I was just like, oh, this is, like, amazing. It's very similar to the Decades story mm. and as much with them, them working with Tom. Mm. Um, it feels like Tom has kind of a, kind of a sound or, mm. a, or, or, a, or a wheelhouse. Mm. Um, does he encourage stuff that's maybe outside of his sort of purview or, um, I guess, knowledge base? Yeah, he does. Um, I think he – I do agree. He's probably got a bit of a sound and uh, a bit of a niche thing that – you can often hear a Tom Larkin band, and I think that's partly is his style, the way he works. Um, it's also partly the people that he works with, as engineer and mixing and all that sort of stuff. And who were they for the album? Uh, so John Grace, um, he engineered and co-produced the album, and then um, Samuel Sproul uh, mixed and mastered the album, and then Tom obviously did uh, producing. So. 
We'll get to the uh, production of uh, Misbehaviour mm-hmm. in the uh, the third part of the show. Um, but I just want to talk about you've been uh, performing since you were 17, 18 in a sort of a, a proper original band mm-hmm. sense. What's the um, what's the biggest or uh, most depressing failure of your um, of your career? What's something that you just went, damn? With the Stereogram, the whole ride that we had was full of ups and downs. And there were lots of amazing things that we achieved and... You know, I, I'm so stoked that we had that path that we went on. But there were all sorts of things that we failed at as well, or things that just didn't happen. You know, um, and I think even though the the success that we may have achieved o- overseas, part of me, um, you know, w- we was just set up to really break huge, and it just didn't fly on radio. It just didn't pick up. And that was the only thing that um, really didn't take off in the States. Was it ahead of its time? I think part of it was that they couldn't find a box to put it in. And they, it, we had actually had a conversation with um, someone at Capitol Records when they were trying to pitch it to radio. So we had a rotation on MTV. We had been touring for a, a year before the album came out. And, you know, we had done, done the video with Michelle Gondry. Like, everything was really set. And uh, it went to radio, and within a couple of weeks, they just sort of came back and said, "It's just, no one wants to pick it up." It was just weird, you know. So all of the uh, the hills and dales and valleys and so on um, that Jared has been through. Let's take a look back twenty years. You're mm-hmm. fifteen. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna What are you gonna say to yourself? What are you How are you gonna set Jared up to sort of do that sliding doors moment Ooh, that's and an take a question. take a different path? Uh, what would I say to myself in fifteen? You know, I'm stoked with the way that I have handled my music career this far. I think just keep going, keep playing. Do you think that's your upbringing? Um, I think it's just that I love playing music. I've never really stopped. Even before Stereogram, I was making music. I was writing songs at a, at a really early teenage years. And they were shit songs, but <laughs> I was writing, you know. And then, and then I joined Stereogram, and then I was involved in writing then. And then when Stereogram finished, I did the covers thing, and then I actually um, uh, wrote a gospel album with um, another guy here in New Zealand. And then a couple of years after that, uh, Dead Favors started, and I've been writing. So I've never really stopped, and I just think it's, I just, it's, it's like it, I have to do it. It's a natural thing that I have to get this creativity out because I just go insane if I don't. I think it's a good time for some more music. Sure. Um, have you got a fave track, something from across the years or something you've kept with you that you want yes, to give? Yes, um, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. I'm a big Dave Grohl fan. Um, and there is a song on Colour and the Shape called Enough Space. And that came out in 97. And as a... 14, 15 year old listening to that, I was just like, it just influenced how I played drums and how hard I hit the drums and how much I play, you know, I just loved it. So I would put that album on and I would sit there with headphones on and play drums along to this album. And that song in particular, just, I loved it. I just loved the way he played on it and everything. So, yeah. Before we do that, I just want to ask, uh, their most recent release, Concrete and Gold, Mm. Um, I personally feel like it missed the mark in, mm. in some ways. Uh, do you think there's a danger of overproduction in music? Well, 
I'm a little bit biased because I'm a huge Foos fan. So I have had several people say that they felt let down by that album. Um, but I really felt that there was a little bit more musical maturity in that album than all. I mean, Foo Fighters are big guitars, a bit of screaming, loud, yelling vocals, and some pretty hard-hitting drums, you know? But that album, there's all these kind of Beatles influences and all these harmonies that have never been on a Foo's record before. And so I quite enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's their best album, but I enjoyed the fact that... that it was a little bit more mature and a little bit branching out for, for them. Mm. Let's look back 20 years. This is Foo Finders with Enough Space. Mm. Thanks so much for being with us today. Garden of Sound is sponsored by Mint Finance. One of the areas Mint Finance specialise in is providing finance for unsecured loans. Now, working with Mint's great, not only because they're easy to deal with, but because they can sort out the type of lending that's right for you. Mint can help you with unsecured business loans, and if there's no security available, but you have good cash flows and a healthy credit record, an unsecured business loan could be the option you're business needs. Now you can find out more about the competitive interest rates and repayment structures offered by Mint Finance by phoning 0800 
666023 or visiting mintfinance.co.nz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jared Reynolds on Plains FM ninety six point nine. I want to talk about the uh, I want to talk about the new album. Yeah, I will talk about uh, promotion before we get into uh, the production. Reading up online, uh, one of the big parts of the success about Stereogram, it seemed like there was a lot of handing out CDs and flyers and and getting a fan base. Um, who did that come from, and has that sort of like influenced what you've done? Because you seem to be a driving force. I don't know sort of what role the rest mm. of Dead Favors play in the big scheme of things. So that was uh, Brad, that, our guitarist. He was uh, a real, um, like you say, driving force for Stereogram. He just did a lot of the admin and the, you know, kind of pushing things along. Um, so that came from, um, we had this kind of work ethic to go and meet people and and sort of um, spread our name by, you know, being a part of gigs and being, you know, getting in with people and talking and hanging out and all that sort of thing. Um, How much of that do you like? Uh, How much I, of that don't you like? Yeah, I, I don't mind it, but I do find it difficult just to, to consistently, you know, just make small talk and... So pretty much when anyone goes up to to meet you from now on, I have something to say, some conversation starters. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's always some context. good. Yeah, or, and I, I do, I genuinely do enjoy meeting people that like come to the show. And they, I was after the show last night, went to the merch stand, and people would come up and they'd go, "Hey, man, I love the show," you know. And it, like that's real flattering. It's a, a pretty cool to have people come and tell you those types of things, and it sort of reinforces the fact that you're you're doing a good job and people are liking what you're doing. So, yeah. Going to the uh, production, when did the songs start getting uh, written for Misbehaviour, the album? Uh, probably, um, I'd say, 18 months ago, um, or probably even longer, two years ago. And where was the tracking done? Three tracks were done in Melbourne um, at Tom's studio, and then seven tracks were done here at um, the lab in Auckland. And I presume that everything that was written didn't necessarily make the album. We were actually just talking about this last night. Um, we're putting through our set list for this tour, right? And we wrote probably 60 songs for this album. 60? Yeah. And so there's... How many of them were any good? And I know that's like how many... <laughs> I know, I know. How many mean. of your children? Yeah, yeah. No, um, probably 30 of them were good, I would say. Um, and... I mean, when I say 60, some of them were just a, a verse and a chorus, not finished songs, yep. but um, there were a lot of songs that we've played over the last two years that didn't make the album, and now that we've got the album out, we have to play the album songs, and we were just saying last night, there's a song uh, called Brothers that we've played for probably the last 18 months, and I love that song, and we haven't got it on the set. So what's to stop you socially putting out live versions of those tracks, maybe just sort of, you know, squeezing one or two and sort of, then it doesn't have to be an official release, as yes. it were. Yes, uh, well, that is actually on the cards. We have talked about um, once this album, you know, the traction from this album sort of starts to dwindle, uh, we have talked about doing some kind of B-sides or something where we just kind of almost go into a studio and record live, like three tracks or something, and just release that. Uh, because um, there is a few songs that we have written that I'm bummed didn't make the album, you know, and I do think they're great songs, they're totally dead favour songs, so... 
that's probably on the cards. At the very beginning of the interview, we talked about um, the amount of time you spent uh, learning piano, doing your mm-hmm. grades and, and so on. Um, I couldn't hear it. Are there any keys on the album? Uh, there is only on, um, there's a song called Wake Up, and there is a Wurlitzer on that. Um, I tried to get more keys in, but they, I got overruled, actually. <laughs> so um, there's the last song on the album's called Luxembourg, and I really, I, I would have liked to put some piano on that. And we sat down and actually tried it, but um, it, I think it just added more than the song needed. So uh, Wake Up, yes, has a Wurlitzer on it um, in the chorus and in the outro. I personally make comparisons in your vocal style uh, to uh, James Dean Bradfield uh, from Manic Street Preachers. We talked about you being a tenor. Um, it seems your favourite note is a B. Um, and in, in live performance, um, you have made a, a sensible uh, decision to go for those C's and D's in, in, in a falsetto from, from what I have seen. How long can you keep singing like that as a... Uh, as someone in their mid-thirties. Gosh, that's I've never thought about that. Are you going to have to drop it by a tone sort of every decade? <clears throat> I hope not, but that definitely could be a thing. Um, who, uh, who am I thinking of? There is uh, oh, Robert Plant. Can't sing like he used to. So, yeah. And funnily enough, somebody like Steven Tyler can yeah, still I know. get up there. Um, I, I don't know. I'll do it as long as I can, and uh, if I get to the point where I, I have to drop uh, the keys, I'll, I'll do that. But I think about even John Toogood, I mean, man, he still slams it, you know. Um, and Dave Grohl is another one who's almost punching 50, and that guy, every night after night. And actually, Springsteen, if you think about, if you see Springsteen live, he is unbelievably, his pipes are just out of this world solid concrete and he'll do three hours three hours and a lot of that is is muscle memory what's your pre-show ritual generally generally pre-show i do have vocal warm-ups um which everyone else in the room gets pissed off at but (laughs) i really do feel that um it just relaxes me and i get much better control from the the first note of the first song if i do it it's time for some music. Sure. Um, you mentioned Luxembourg mm. before. Why do you want to play that track? Apart from the fact it doesn't have any keys on it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it's just, it's, it's the song that I never thought that we would write. Um, I'm, I'm a pop guy. I love pop music and I love um, like Ryan Adams and um, that kind of stuff. I'm a very singer-songwritery kind of guy and Dead Favours is not. So, um, so what are you trying to get out of Dead Favors? What's what sort of demons are you trying to well? I to love release? I love the loud, yelly, you know, noisy shit too. But um, we wrote so many songs for this album, and we wrote over about a two-year period, right, to get this album out. And there was never I I bought a few songs, singery, songwritery type songs to the band, and and they never really got across the line. I really, I had talked about acoustic stuff as well, and we just, it never really fit. It didn't work really well. The thing with this is, 
a lot of the songs that we wrote for this album, we went away to Orewa and we booked this house and we set up um, the band live and we mic'd everything and we just wrote for two days and we recorded the, all of it, hours and hours of stuff. And um, <clears throat> Luxembourg was one of those songs that no one bought a riff. It was, it was not talked about, it just happened. And I think that's the only way that this uh, song made the record because it wasn't... You know, it wasn't me coming to the band and going, hey, I've got this acoustic song, why don't we try this? It'd be a cool flavour for the album. It just, Dead Favours wrote that as four people, you know? And it just kind of fell in our laps and it has this simplicity about it and it has the singer-songwritery thing that I want to do, but um, it, I've never been able to get it across the line. What's the song about? That's the other thing um, that I really enjoy about this song is that I... I struggle with lyrics. That's um, my weakest point. Is I really struggle to write material that I feel is not cheesy and you know means something. Um, and this is the only song that is actually a story song rather than an experience song. So all the lyrics that I've written are about experiences or about shit that happened in my life. This song is it's it's a story song. So it's this kind of concept that there's this this old guy that is. Um, in his final years of his life and he's reflecting back on what's happened in life and the the poor decisions that he's made and he's come to this realization that life is what you make it you know and so it's it's a bit cliche but i, I just love it I, I it's like i never thought that i'd write that either and make it on this album so yeah
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jared Rennell on 96.9 Plains FM. Playing host to some of the biggest names in dance music, Christchurch's D4 continues to break new ground for clubbers and music lovers across the country. But that's only a small piece of the action. When you want your next function talked about for years to come, D4 is your first port of call. With a capacity of 350 and a world-renowned AV team on site, D4's flexible enough to host theatre, bands, comedy and parties for all ages. It all happens opposite the tannery on Garlands Road, so visit facebook.com forward slash D4 venue for a better look at the action and to book your next event facebook.com forward slash D4 venue This is the Garden of Sound interview with Jared Reynolds on Plains FM 96.9 The tour supporting villainy um, has been and gone Mm -hmm. there's the Misbehaviors album out there with some uh, wicked Wicked tracks. Um, apart from um, uh, misbehaviour, uh, "Lost on You" is a particular uh, fave of mine. Very Jeff Buckley slash Muse vibes. Oh, I love Jeff Buckley. Can hear it in the uh, in the, the slide guitar-y, mm-hmm. uh intro. Um, as far as dead favors go, well, actually, now let's talk about Jared Reynolds. What's mm-hmm. been your most rewarding project um, across your thirty-five years? Honestly, dead favors. I. I said to Charlie, um, when, "Is this the drummer?" Yeah, our drummer. When we got this, when we got the masters back for this album, and as you do when you get your masters back for an album, you sit down and listen to it all the time, or well, I do anyway. And we got this masters back, and we were listening to this album, and I said to him, "I don't think there's anything that I would change." And I've never made a record. This is my fifth studio album. I've never made an album that I've sat down and gone, "I wouldn't change anything." So I think this is probably because I'm writing the lyrics and I'm writing the melodies and stuff. There's the songs like Lost on You means something to me, you know. Um, so I think this has probably been my most rewarding th- musical venture so far. So looking ahead, um, what's the plan of attack? Um, this is not your day job and, uh, you know, it's not paying the bills necessarily. Mm. Um, what would you like to happen over the next couple of years with Dead Favors? Um, yeah, gosh, I'd like to build, uh, in an ideal world, build Dead Favors to the point where we can tour and people come out to the shows, New Zealand and Australia, um, and be able to have my life as my life and then this attaching to it, you know what I mean? So I don't see this as ever being my full-time job and you know, this is what I do for a living, but I love having this as a thing in my life. And I've got kids and I've got a business and all that stuff, so I have to do all that stuff as well, but I can fit this in. And if Dead Favors gets to the point where it's uh, self-sustaining financially and, you know, we get a good enough following that people come out to the shows and all that sort of thing, and we can tour once a year or twice a year or something and you know, sell out 10 shows. Is your wife a fan of the band? <laughs> My wife is a big fan, yes. Fantastic. My wife is... Uh, Did a... you get a free t-shirt? No. <laughs> no, she didn't. Well, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, my wife uh, is an amazing supporter of me musically and, um, yeah, yeah, her and my kids are 
are probably my biggest fans. So, yeah. yeah, that's huge. Um, looking even further ahead, I said uh, you'd just been touring with um, with Villainy. Uh, are there any um, acts or uh, individuals, even producers or people that are either Dead Favors or Jared uh, mm. would like to work with in the future? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. We um, Joe Barisi, who uh, has done a bunch of Queens of the Stone Age and that sort of stuff. And most recently Tool. Yes, and most recently album? Tool. Um, Out August 30. Mm, there you go. Um, we have talked about going to, uh, what's, is it, uh, Rancho de Luna? Is that the, um, the desert, um, yeah, the studio in the desert, where all the Caius stuff and Queens of the Stone Age and all that stuff happens. It's like amazing studio there. Um, and he does a lot of um, stuff out of that studio. So we've talked about trying to um, make that happen. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to afford it on the next record, but maybe one day we can get um, over there and, and do an album with him. It would be really cool. Jared, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Thank you for um, having me. Thank you for being so so open. I've and, enjoyed uh, this. Good. Um, we aim to please. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to uh, like to play a track uh, to take us out, and I'd like to hear some more dead favors. Any hmm. um, anything else uh, that you'd like to care to offer from uh, Misbehavior? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, Noise Bears. Noise Bears is probably one of my favourite tunes that we've done. When I saw you playing in uh, July, you said there's a story behind the name. Notice that. <laughs> we, can't, we can't talk about that. Okay. If you would like to find out, then head along to the next Dead Favors gig. Uh, hit Jared up and ask him about Noise Bears. Um, and uh, I will put an advisory before we uh, hear the song. Yes, there is an expletive at yes. the end of the track. Where did where did that come from? Was it sheer um, uh, Freddie Mercury frustration at the it, end of it, it Bohemian gen- Rhapsody? It genuinely was. Um, so quite funny, um, when I was doing all the vocals for this album, there's all these times where you, you sing the wrong word or, you know, um, we hit record and then I forget to sing the line or whatever. These things happen. And it was, it, so our um, engineer, every, almost every song had one of these things and I would do it over and over and over again and he actually built up a little uh, track and he put them all together and he would play them to me while I'm standing in the booth with my headphones on. So it was really funny. But anyway, so before we actually mixed the album, we had all these desk prints of the songs and they all had these things through them. Um, and so for, for this song, <laughs> we, it's at the end of the song and I genuinely finished singing the line and then the song finished and then I went to sing the line again and I was like, we're over... <laughs> so it's genuine that wasn't staged that's just a genuine mishap that happened and we loved it so much that it just felt so natural and it kind of encapsulated my kind of you know personality almost so we uh, we just kept it on there it just kind of fit you know this is dead favors noise bears jared thanks for being on the show thank you <laughs>
Before I jump onto my track of the week, I want to mention an event happening tonight at PYDT. It's your chance to check out Lotus, Portland, Exit and Red Wedding for a super low $5 a ticket. You'll remember Lotus and Portland from Garden of Sound Live, so this gig is going to be huge. Get your tickets right now from Under the Radar. Just search PYDT. And while you're there, get a ticket for a friend and introduce them to some amazing music from brilliant local artists. Right, track of the week. Why not play something that's 26 years old? Jared and I talked about Jeff Buckley after the interview, but there wasn't enough time left for one of his tracks, so I'm going to share with you some Mannix. This I discovered on a compilation back in 93 while doing some work experience at a record store, and it's stuck with me ever since. James Dean Bradfield in exceptional form, featuring not only strings, but also some organ in the background. This is From Despair to Where. I write this alone in my bed I pause in every room in my house The place is quiet and so alone Pretend there's something worth waiting for There's nothing nice in my head You had a walk to get out of the way I wake with sin
Okay, that's all for today. My guest was Jared Reynolds from Dead Favours. You can find out more about what that group's up to by going to gardenofsound.nz, clicking on Jared's photo on the front page. Next week, there's a Tuesday between a Monday and between a Wednesday, who alongside sneaky Caribbean monk seals have made it through to the national finals of RockQuest. So if you've got the time and the funds, get yourself to Auckland on September 14th, but make sure you listen in next week too. It's going to be a great show. This has been Garden of Sound presented by Mint Finance, business loans made easy. Until next week, keep well, keep listening and keep playing. Hi there.